Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This time I'm talking to Kieran Stone about his work and motivations, along with a range of other topics I hope you'll find interesting. Kieran's photography career started when he moved to London a while back and started to document his travels around Europe. On his return to Melbourne as a biomedical scientist, he started to get more serious about progressing his photography and spent a lot of time working on his brand, skills and promoting his work via social media. If he could sum up his life in one word, it would be curiosity. Ever since he was a child, he's been interested in the world around him and the universe as a whole wondering at the millions of years that went into creating coastlines or mountains was much more appealing to him than the ever-changing focus of media and entertainment. This wonder and curiosity combined with a wanderlust to see all that he could has brought with it an inevitable desire to capture the world through photography. The more places he visits, the more cultures he came to understand, drove his passion to create images that portrayed the splendour and raw emotion that they evoked. Kieran's photography is an expression of his thoughts and philosophies. It's a description and physical representation of his life as a passage through time and development as a human. He endeavours to never stop learning, whether it's in photography, science, his own personality or existence as a whole. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the podcast. How are you going? I'm fantastic, Grant. How are you? Yeah, very well. Very pleased to have you on the show. I've been following you for some time and uh, was talking to uh, Danny Watson a little while ago and she definitely suggested uh, catching up with you and getting you on the show. So very pleased when you said yes. So thank you very much for for agreeing to be a part of this um, weird little radio show that I'm running for myself. (laughs) <laughs> um yeah definitely happy to be here and um as you know i'm a fan of your work as well and i like your stuff um and yeah i can definitely vouch for danny as well um i had a listen to her interview and um i'm very sorry danny for putting you to sleep with my <laughs> photoshop uh <laughs> teachings but um yeah I, I do remember that session as well and uh how um some of the people came away from uh, what I was trying to show. And yeah, Danny's definitely surpassed uh, that session and moved on to become a fantastic photographer in her own right. So that's really great to see her progression. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, so what, what's the Kieran Stone story? Where, where did you start and what, what got you saying, oh, photography's for me? Uh, I guess... I was, I never really sort of started as a photographer. It was never something I grew up with, uh, wanting to be a photographer. Uh, for me, it was all science and space and astronomy and, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I also spent a lot of time traveling and, uh, it, whether it was just around locally around Victoria and around Melbourne or, uh, eventually traveling around the world as well. And one thing that I, always had around was a a camera of some kind and I just like taking photos whether it was uh, um, friends at uh, parties when I was a teenager uh, or heading out on uh, road trips and taking photos or music festivals 
um, it was just something that was always a part of me and I didn't really think about it too much. Uh, but the, I guess the wanting to take it on professionally came from, uh, moving over to London for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I just thought I'm going to be over there traveling around Europe quite a lot for, um, the entire time that I'm there. Uh, I want to be able to get a decent camera, uh, and, at least something, an upgrade from a, a point and shoot camera that I had been uh, using, just something that would fit in my pocket. And I thought I'll, I'll get a digital SLR and try and learn how to use it. And so I can go out and actually take half decent travel shots and document my time over there yeah. as best I could. Nice. And um, then the more I started doing that, the more photos I was taking, uh, I was really enjoying it. And I got a lot of good feedback from friends and family and even entered in a couple of little competitions. Uh, I got a couple of photos published in magazines just from winning those competitions and then getting uh, a prize of like little uh, weekend trips away. Mm -hmm. uh, so that kind of encouraged me to take it even further from there. Mm, very cool. So what was it, I guess, I mean, obviously that got you uh, started along the, the lines of full time. What, what, did, what made you say, this is definitely a career that I want to follow? Uh, I think it was when I came back to Melbourne and uh, had to either find a job in uh, what I was doing at the time, which is biomedical, which was biomedical science, or uh, try and build up a name for myself or a career in photography. And I wasn't happy with the photos I was taking uh, at that time in terms of being a professional photographer. Uh, so I still ended up getting a job as a, a biomedical scientist um, and then spent uh, the next three, three or so years Mm -hmm. uh, building up a name for myself on Instagram and spending hours and hours just engaging on Instagram and building up that, uh, a following there yeah. and maybe getting a few photos that went, I guess, a bit viral for, uh, the amount of followers that I had. Mm -hmm. And I just, yeah, spent a lot of time, uh, after work hours, just working on my photography name, my brand, my skills. Uh, learning as much as I could, either from going out and shooting, reading books, uh, watching YouTube, and just developing my own style up to the point where I was happy with um, where I could go from there. So sure. I didn't think it was the best I could be, but it was definitely at a point where I could start selling my work. I could start teaching other people and... Yep. If I worked at it, I could um, do it for a living. Yeah. And with my wife still working, um, I was able, we were kind of financially stable enough to take the plunge in 2016. And uh, I quit my biomedical science job and just started full time photography. Uh, I started running workshops, uh, advertising that on Instagram, on my website and um selling prints as well and yeah kind of just went from there and it just continued to build 
um, throughout 2016. How, how hard was it to make that decision, I guess, to actually cut the cord with the the steady income and the you know the the day to day um, I don't know if it was a nine to five job or you know what whatever the hours were but you would have had set hours that you had to be there how how hard was it to cut those ties when when it came time to make the call uh I guess it had been a long time coming it had been something that I'd been working to for a while mm -hmm. um so it wasn't that hard to make the decision. It wasn't a, a spur of the moment thing where I just decided yeah. one night, that's it, I'm quitting. I'm just going to yeah, go and uh, give him my notice and start as a photographer. It was, yeah, a long time in the coming, in the, uh, in the making. So it wasn't that hard of a decision. There was. So you, you had a kind of a plan in mind when you, when you made the decision. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, I had, uh, I'd worked out what I was going to do for workshops, um, even kind of went out and did some test workshops. Uh, they would just be one-on-one. -on -one. Um, later on, I'd end up doing group ones, but uh, I was able to yeah, work out what I wanted to do and how I was going to approach it. Uh, so I had the whole plan in place before actually taking that plunge. So it was, um, it was still uh, a difficult decision because it was going to be such a change, mm. but it wasn't as hard as just doing it out of the blue. So when you, you mentioned, you know, sort of building your style. What, how, how would you describe your style? If I kind of look at my images as a, as a collection or a, as a whole and try and work out what's a common theme, I guess I, I am attracted to uh, bright and vibrant colors mm -hmm. and uh, I guess seemingly simple compositions as well uh, there tends to be one main element that draws the eye uh, that kind of sets the, the whole the whole scene and then there's just the the more details that the the viewer can uh, explore within the image uh, as they um, after sort of seeing it as a whole that's usually eye-catching uh, from the colors and the and the composition and then yeah, there's more to explore in there after that. Cool. And you talked a little bit about personal brand. How important is that building of the personal brand? And I guess what what kind of steps were you taking to to build it? It's important to build a personal brand just to just so you can stand out a bit more and be more recognizable. Uh, there are so many great photographers out there. Um, and some of them aren't even, they don't even consider themselves professional. They consider themselves amateur photographers, but they're producing just amazing work. Mm -hmm. um, and so in order to stand out, you do need to have your own, your own brand, your own sort of signature uh, approach to your work, whether that comes out in uh, how you engage with the, with the community as a whole, or um, a very, particular style that you present with your photos. Um, so it's, it's something that does come with time. You, it's, I guess you focus in on it. You, you hone your own personal brand and name and it gets to a point where it could shift around a bit, but it still sort of sticks to a common theme. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is, um, it is something that you, you should work on. Um, and 
kind of separate from yourself as well. Um, yep. Cause even though you are a, you are a person, you are an artist, you're, you're not exactly a company by yourself, but you're still, you still become um, a, a presence or a personality in your own right. And yeah, you, there's some things that you would do as a, as a brand and I guess other things that you wouldn't do as a person or I don't, there's just sort of some sort of separation between the two. And it's, I guess it helps when uh, you do receive any critique or feedback on your work. Yep. Um, you can kind of separate it from yourself as well. Yeah, um, sure. And it's, that's just sort of something to do with your, your product or your, your brand and not yourself personally. Yep. Um, and that's yeah, something that's also important when it comes to uh, producing and selling art. Hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, I guess, particularly in that amateur space, probably don't recognise that need to separate the, the work from, or the art, from the artist. Um, and, you know, any criticism or uh, critique that they get, you know, tends to be taken quite personally in some circumstances. And, you know, I think this is one of the, um, I, I don't want to say evils per se, but, you know, one, one of the challenges with uh, social media um, at the moment where people's mental health can actually be impacted by, you know, what people say or do online and, uh, you know, that ability to separate yourself from your product, um, I think is, is a really interesting and, and, you know, really important point uh, that a lot of people, particularly in the amateur space, certainly don't or may not really relate to. Yeah, because it, it, it takes just the one negative comment you could have a hundred positive comments, but oh, that one negative comment, it just, it just sticks to you and you, it's hard to, to shake off if you're really invested in the work you're producing and how it is um, taken by um, uh, in social media and whether it's accepted or not. And um, even sometimes the, the lack of any response is taken negatively yeah. and, and it's just, it's, you, yeah, it's, difficult and it is something you need to work on to yeah, separate it from a personal thing. And it's sometimes things are out of your control and um, that includes just people either wanting to do the right thing or wanting to be helpful by providing some feedback yeah. when it may not be welcome um, or just people who are, may just be at a bad time in their life and they just want to lash out and say yep. something bad about your work. Um, mm -hmm. It's, yeah, you just let it um, let it slide off your back and uh, continue forward, and uh, just focus on the positive. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, I guess what 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 I'd like to explore a little bit with you, if if you don't mind, is do you have any particular techniques you use to keep things on an even keel? You know, I mean, I I, I don't know if you much criticism for your work i mean i i certainly wouldn't uh say anything uh untoward about it but um you know i i know that there are people and i know that there are certainly you know certain 
certain people out there or certain artists out there that do cop criticism, you know, because maybe they've, you know, created a composite and the, the more traditional types don't don't appreciate the the attention grabbing that the composites might get, you know, because they're they are or might look a little bit more spectacular than some of the, you know, less uh processed images that um that that, that are around. Do you we I, I guess we what are the things that you do to 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 keep yourself, you know, um from feeling bad when when you know faced with criticism? Uh I guess I one thing that the I guess the biggest critique that I got when I was sharing work was uh and a, a it's kind of a common theme with a lot of photographers is people saying, oh, it's, it's Photoshopped. It looks fake. <laughs> yeah. um, and especially with um, my bright scenes or um, just things that it, they may very well be composites or they may well very well be fairly Photoshopped. Um, I decided to think, think of it as a positive um, and think, well, yes, it is photoshopped, and that's part of what I do. And it's, yeah, um, yeah. I tried to turn those negative criticisms into um, a, a positive and say, well, that's there's nothing wrong with that at all. It is part of what I do. Um, and if I guess if there's any criticisms that are just that just don't make sense, um, if it's just someone being mean for the sake of it, which um, I can't think of any examples. I haven't really, um, had to deal with any of that. Um, mm. um, yeah, being quite lucky, uh, in that regard, but, um, I guess just trying to see it, the fact that you are a person and they are a person and they, no one's really out to get you. They're just kind of looking out for themselves. So if they're lashing out at you, mm. it means that there's something going on with them um, yeah. and that's their way of uh, coping with it. Um, so it's nothing personal. They're not out to um, destroy you in any way. There's no real uh, villains in the world. It's just people looking out for themselves. And yeah. if yeah. you just happen to brush by them at a bad time in their life, or if they're just unable to cope with certain things and it's nothing, nothing personal and you just kind of, let it slide or either if it's someone that you, you know, then maybe reach out to them and see if they need help themselves. Yeah. Um, but if it's to do with the, the actual work itself, then I guess if it's real criticism or real um, something that I can take on board, then I'll be happy to take it on board. But yeah, otherwise just try and turn it into a positive or see it as it's not really a, a criticism after all, it's just part of what you do. And yep. yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, talking about things like composites and, you know, Photoshop, and I mean, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had the, the, the quest, the, the always difficult question, has that been Photoshopped? Well, yes, it was a raw file. So therefore I couldn't mm. do anything but process it. And the tool that I use happens to be Photoshop. I could have done it in GIMP, but, you know, um, you know, aside from that though, there's, I guess that, decision point between rendering a scene exactly how you saw it versus uh, moving towards an artistic 
um, I guess, interpretation of what you saw or how you saw it or what you would have liked to have seen, you know, had conditions been more in your favour. Um, I guess where where do you where do you stand in terms of that sort of photography? I mean, I I, I have an opinion, and basically, it's largely um, if if it's art, it's art, and you know the components. As long as you have the rights to use all of the components that you used, well, you know, all power to you if you've got the the skills and capability to do it. But you know, other people I know have different opinions around that and you know they try to get exactly uh you know the scene rendered as they saw it in camera as much as possible and do very little photoshop where where do you stand on that spectrum uh well i tend to approach with my photos um to i guess try and bring out the the emotion or the the sense of place that i had there at the time um so it's very hard to capture emotion in a photo that you just take when you're standing at a beach or at a mountain. Um, sometimes the, the location does it all for you and that's fantastic. Uh, it could be just a completely beautiful scene with a beautiful sunset, uh, sunrise, uh, night sky, anything. Um, but sometimes it just doesn't come out in the raw file and with a, a two-dimensional image, it's, um, I guess, an example I tend to use because it does come up a lot is uh, when you take a when you see a beautiful sunset and you take a photo on your phone and then you're trying to show someone else on your phone later and you're trying to describe it and say, oh, it was so nice. It was um, the clouds were really bright. It just went on for ages, and yep. uh, you, you kind of find yourself saying, oh, you just you just had to be there. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I try and uh, bring out the moment um, that I was there or bring out how that place um, impacts people, uh, makes them feel or just leaves you with that sense of uh, awe-inspired uh, moment of actually being there from just looking at a two-dimensional image. Yep. Um, and it's not easy to do and I'm, I'm sure I don't get all the way there. Um, yeah. I don't think everyone nails it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm not opposed to doing composites or changing things around, making things a bit bigger or smaller or getting rid of uh, distracting elements or putting in a, um, a new sky or uh, a Milky way or turning day to night um, is uh, I think, tend to think as well of if someone was there and uh, painting a picture and they looked at a mountain and thought, I'll, I'll bring that forward a bit. I'll paint it a bit bigger. Uh, those clouds aren't quite colorful enough. I'll paint them with some brighter colors. Um, and then they show the painting to someone. Um, no one tends to look at a painting and think, oh, that's, it looks fake. You know, that yeah. the mountain doesn't look that big or yeah. um, the clouds weren't like that. Uh, but when it comes to photography, everyone expects it to be real, expects it to be exactly documented perfectly. Yeah. yeah. And well, I think that I is think the case. With sorry, that, that, that's the difference between journalistic photography and um, I guess artistic photography, you know, and I'm not saying that journalistic can't be artistic, 
um, and, and vice versa. But, you know, I think artistic photography that's designed to convey an emotion that, you know, is there is, is certainly a different sort of genre to that journalistic, you know. I mean, if, if you saw a photo, and there's been plenty of examples of it, but, uh, you know, a photo in a newspaper that showed something, you'd expect that to have actually been there when, you know, the photographer was standing there taking the photo. Yeah, and I guess that comes back to personal brand as well. Uh, if you've branded yourself as someone who um, takes wildlife shots of animals in their native environment, um, their natural environment, and um, captures their um, their natural behaviour, um, and then you post a, or you put out a photo of an animal that's in a zoo and say mm -hmm. that it's like people expect that to be photo that's taken in the wild. Um, yep. And so it might be misrepresenting um, animals in that way, uh, it, unless you specifically say this is something um, that was taken in a zoo or uh, this wasn't a wild animal. Um, it comes down to what people expect from you as a personal, as um, you've built with your brand. Um, so if you're taking a whole bunch of um, photos that aren't really photoshopped and you've worked really hard to actually go out and capture a scene exactly how it is. Then if you just put out a, a composite um, without disclosing that it is, then people might find that of uh, almost like a betrayal of trust because they've trusted you to take uh, non-photoshopped or non-worked photos. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think it, it comes back to what the viewer would expect of you as an artist as well. Yeah. So what motivates uh, you creatively? Oh, um, <laughs> I guess that, that changes from time to time. Uh, creatively, I, I guess I just want to improve um, and grow as an artist or as a photographer. Um, I, I try and say artist now more than photographer because I, sure. I guess lately I've shifted to um, some uh, either digital art or just been working on photos uh, a bit differently um but i guess just to find something new uh create something new just try lots of different things and find what works um i don't want to become stagnant and just keep producing the same thing i want to keep creating and um yeah find something new to see uh, whether that's something that i've created on a computer or gone out to capture. I want to, yeah, show something new to the world. Yeah, cool. So when when was the last time that you uh, got out and uh, and shot? I mean, obviously the last couple of years with uh, with COVID, and I know you've uh, you've got young children, etc. It can't always be easy to uh, find time to get out and about. Uh, two years. Wow, it's been a while. <laughs> um, since I've actually been able to get out, uh, it has, and yeah, shoot properly. It has been uh, a couple of years. Um, and as I said, that's, I've been working a lot, uh, uh, doing either digital work or going back through the many, many photos that I've got, mm. uh, and finding things that, uh, I may have missed or I could work or put different photos together. Yep. Um, so, and also, definitely with 
being a full-time dad as well, um, looking after the, the kids all day. Um, there's sort of no break from that. And uh, then with travel restrictions as well, um, uh, I haven't, yeah, we had like a, in Melbourne, um, a five kilometer limit that we could go to and being in the middle of the suburbs, there's not much variety that you can go out and shoot as a landscape photographer. Um, yeah. there was no beaches, no waterfalls. Um, it was just, yeah, streets and stuff. And there was, yeah, I, I'm committed to, uh, spending that time with my kids as well and making sure they, uh, have this important time with their, with their father or with their parents. Um, I wouldn't want to just hand them off to, um, either family or childcare, uh, if I don't have to, uh, I want to be there for them and mm. yeah, have them have a good upgrade upbringing in their first, um, five or so years of life before they go off to school and then it becomes a little less out of my, a uh, little more out of my control. So, sure, sure. So I, I guess I, I'd assume that that time, that couple of years in, you know, the pandemic and lockdowns, particularly in Melbourne, probably played a, a big part in that. Has that changed your attitude towards photography um, and in particular traveling to, to take photos? I don't think it's changed. I don't think it's really changed me that much in my approach to taking photos. Um, I guess with, um, with the pandemic and everything, it just, and also the kids, it's just, well, they kind of came along at an ideal time for me because I was going to kind of pause things anyway. Yeah. Um, so I guess it, it has just had a pause in that time of going out and taking photos. Um, but I have still been able to work on things um, at home. Uh, but who knows when I head out, I might see things a bit differently. I might realize that I can do more. And so I'll approach the taking of photos a bit differently, but, um, yeah, I'm hoping to head out, um, again soon and, uh, get that all started again since the, uh, restrictions have been lifting a bit more and yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that's, uh, it's really interesting. I haven't haven't spoken to anyone who's uh, other than sort of imposed lockdowns that has had uh, such a such a long pause in really getting out and shooting. And I mean, I what did I have? I think I had 165 days or something where I couldn't go more than five kilometres. And you know. Mm. It, it, it's one of the reasons why we're having this conversation now. I started the podcast for you know, <laughs> mental health reasons to stop me going nuts, not being able to go out and shoot in that time. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, two, two years. Has it, has that been tough trying to, or, or, you know, not being able to get out and do what you, you, you're passionate about or have you just found other ways to spend your time? Obviously, the, the, the kids have played a, a big part in that as well for you. But, um, you know, have you found that difficult in, in that couple of years? Uh, there have been times where I've, I've wanted to uh, go out and maybe get a break and um, go out and take photos, get down the coast for a couple of days and just spend time by myself and with my craft. But um, 
it's it hasn't really been too much of a problem. I I kind of feel bad for saying it because um, I know how badly affected some people have been and how much of a struggle it has been um, for people to be um, restricted and stuck at home. Um, but I I did have something else to focus on um, and I found other ways, I guess, to um, be creative uh, by, I kind of went out and uh, learned a lot of Adobe Illustrator and started creating my own scenes um, and still worked on uh, putting out just digital art and uh, creating work for stock photography and stock imagery, yep. um, uh, which has uh, done a right over the past couple of years. So um, I had other creative outlets uh, in terms of being able to be creative. Um, and that's the thing, the, the restrictions were out of my control. Um, so it wasn't something that I let myself worry about. Um, yeah. I wasn't able to dictate when the restrictions were end. I uh, wasn't able to do anything about it. So I just, yeah, found out what I could do and um, moved on. Yeah, uh, very, very healthy approach to it, I think. Um, I guess that begs the question. So is there a plan for the first location? What, what is it? Or is that a secret? You're, gonna, you're not <laughs> going to tell me. <laughs> Uh, there's, uh, there's not so much a, a plan. Um, I've never really been good at planning things too much in advance. It's more of a, uh, if I get a chance for a weekend, I might either flip a coin or I've got so many places that I could go to, yeah. um, to take photos. So, uh, I mean, I wouldn't mind getting down to, uh, Wilson's prom. That's one of my favorite places in the world. Yep. Uh, so getting down there and taking photos as um, sand dunes, as beaches, uh, uh, forests, there's yeah, so much to shoot down there. So um, there's that. There's uh, Mornington Peninsula. There's a Great Ocean Road. Um, lots of uh, great Australian or great Victorian or Australian uh, coastlines to shoot, uh, waterfalls. So yeah, lots of options. Uh, I just have to decide on one and just go out and do it. Fair enough. Any uh, any idea about the timing, and, or are you just gonna play it by ear as well? Uh, yeah, probably play it by ear as well. Um, I'll probably get out and um, do it soon, and try and get back into that. Uh, I might be starting up um, some workshops again this year, mm -hmm. uh, so I, I need to go out and make sure I still know where the on button is on my camera. <laughs> um but um yeah i i just need to make the effort and and do it and plan stuff around with the family and um yeah head out and take photos and i can take the kids with me as well but um having them stand around for two hours in the one spot while i'm watching the sunset um around coastal cliffs or something it's probably not the best for a, a one and a three-year-old to be running around yeah um so yeah, I'll have to work out something, but I'm a fairly laid back kind of person. So I'm not stressing about it too much. I know when the time comes, it'll arrive and I'll do what I can. Yeah, sounds good. 
I guess that, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, finding the on button, you know, it's not just the on button, it's all the, all, all the technical bits and bobs, I guess, in that time, do you, do you, I mean, you're not going to forget the basics of, um, you know, the exposure triangle and all those sorts of things, but I guess, are there things that you think you're going to find that you're a little bit rusty on or simply because you haven't done them or, or do you think you're just going to, it's, it's a bit like riding a bike, you'll get on and away you go? Uh, I think it's a bit like, it'd be a bit like riding a bike, um, but I guess the the process or the routine that you find that you end up going through when you get out somewhere is, and even if it comes down to packing the camera bag or mm -hmm. um, when you set up. Remembering the, everything, batteries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, batteries, um, cleaning filters. Yeah. Shoot uh, for your tripod. That was my one a, a little while ago. Went out for a shoot dawn, drove an hour to the beach, got the tripod out, got the camera out. No no shoe between the <laughs> tripod and the camera. <laughs> I, I think I've done that once before. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it was on an always, up body. <laughs> There's always so many of those little mistakes that you just make and uh, you either have to deal with or... Yeah, try and work around. Um, I think I've forgotten my uh, remote trigger before yeah. um, because the last shoot I had was in a, a jacket pocket and I hung that jacket up and wore a different one. And then I was looking around for the remote and I was like, ah, oh, I had it like last week in the other jacket and yeah, go home. And of course the, the remote's there, but trying to do long exposures um, and just, yeah, try and either hold down the button or, um, yeah, it's not press it on the press the exposure the um, shutter button on the camera and potentially um, shake it around. So yeah, you just kind of <laughs> got to deal with the mistakes that you make. <laughs> yeah, there's not much you can do about them once you're on site and you, the, the gear you want at home, is there? Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure I will make um, mistakes, and but I'm happy to go out and um, spend hours or even a weekend taking photos and just spend that weekend making those mistakes um, and yeah. then come away with nothing that I'd actually put out into the world. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it, it happens. Um, I've been on trips before um, where, yeah, I've gone away for a little while and come back and said, I can't use any of these images. I'm not happy with any of them. Um, and yeah. they're not, yeah. Can't always get the right conditions or um, anything. So yeah. Well, my, my last shoot was a little bit like that, except I, I managed to remember to bring everything I needed and everything set up. Um, uh, it, was, it wasn't a spectacular sunrise, but it, was, it wasn't a bad one. Uh, I got probably about 12 frames exposed and um, there was a wave that hit a rock near where I was standing, splashed got some backsplash I got wet the camera got wet and then the camera decided the back screen wasn't going to work anymore so um, <laughs> um it's it's been in the shop and I actually got a message from them today saying it's ready to pick up so uh, yeah I'm, <laughs> I've been without it for a couple of weeks and um yeah it's it's frustrating when that happens because you know you sort of get part way through the shoot and it Lights looking nice, as I say, nothing spectacular, but nice. You, something you could work with, and uh, mm. 
there, you end up with a, uh, a dead back screen, which means then that you can't really operate the camera properly because you can't see what's going on. So, There's nothing worse than just a part of your camera just stops working. And what, what settings <laughs> am I using? I can't tell you. <laughs> I've been uh, at a um, shooting waves that were crashing on rocks. I was like 10 meters high. Mm -hmm. um, there was where I was standing was dry and I was shooting for about an hour. And then I thought oh, I'll get like one or two more shots just as a rogue wave just came and just drenched me like, it was almost like having someone just standing there and throwing a bucket on me in the camera and the camera just kind of switched off and I was like, oh no. And yeah, just threw a towel over it. It's another thing I've always remembered to bring a towel whenever I'm shooting at the beach. Um, got it back to the car, put the car heater on and luckily by the morning it was still working, but yeah, yeah it's there's some I stuck mine in a bag of rice because it wouldn't turn itself off. That, that was all right. Yeah. So, um, you'd switch the uh, on button to off, and um, it would stay on. So the only way to turn it off was to take the battery out. So stuff, <laughs> stuffed it in a bag of rice for overnight, and then it would turn on and off properly. But the back screen still wouldn't work, so I couldn't tell what was. I couldn't tell what it was thinking. So uh, off to off to the shop it went, and uh, anyway. I'm, I'm getting it back tomorrow to uh, <laughs> see. get out and do it all over again. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I, for me, it's a tool. And, you know, it, there is an expectation, particularly when seascaping, that, you know, if if not my gear, and I try, I, I do try not to get it wet, but, you know, there are times when it can't really be avoided and you do get a bit of spray, unfortunately, you know. But it's it's when you know a, a, a wave just comes along and flops and you know backwash hits you, and as you say, it's like someone's chucked a bucket of water over you. But um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a, it is a tool, but it, an expensive tool. You can't just yeah, head down no, to right. uh, Bunnings yeah. or something and pick up a new one. Um, to, to be honest, though, I was I was partly wishing that it was dead completely and I could go and buy a new mirrorless one. <laughs> <laughs> there is always that that kind of you don't want it to happen but no yeah, that's, that's an excuse for a new camera is uh, always welcome yeah <laughs> i wouldn't have said no but you know mm. the uh the repair price wasn't uh wasn't exorbitant so i'm not uh i'm not complaining and uh you know it, i mean it's been fairly trusty and i've i've got some i've got some nice shots out of it so i can't complain too much about it Mm. I think I've had I've had my camera for ooh, probably close to yeah coming up to ten years now. Yep. Um, I I mean some people are into gear and getting the latest thing, but I've always found that if what I've got is working and it's not limiting what I need to do, then I'm happy to keep it. So I'll probably keep this camera until it just stops working, and then I'll get a new one. But um, mm. yeah, unless it's stopping me from doing what I need to do, then yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe I, I'll accidentally drop it in the ocean. <laughs> Mine's about five or six years old. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, again, I'm like you, not, uh, not the sort to go out and buy the latest gear simply because it's available. Um, you know, I have a look and I see what they're doing and, you know, see, see what each of the companies are up to and who's leapfrogging who and that sort of thing. But I don't, uh, 
I don't get hung up about, oh, I've got to have the latest gear now simply because it's it's new. That mm. it's, it's never been something that's, uh, that's really driven me. And, you know, I mean, part, partly it's the, the, the cost, but, uh, you know, because it can be a very expensive hobby. I, I think glass is the only thing that I really, you know, sort of spend serious money on. And even then I, I, I buy a fair amount of secondhand glass as well. I, you know, I bought the last uh, two L-series lenses for, for my Canon um, through uh, Gumtree or... Uh, Facebook marketplace or one of those and you know the, to, to be honest though with lenses I think that's that that's a, a relatively economical way of doing it but um, yeah. you know, with a body I think I'd definitely be uh, buying a new one I wouldn't be going secondhand yeah I wouldn't be buying my camera secondhand off me um, <laughs> I know what it's been through so I wouldn't want anyone else to buy that secondhand um, so yeah I wouldn't want to, um, yeah, probably wouldn't buy one secondhand, but I guess if I'm not buying everything, um, as it comes out, then I kind of save money on not buying everything new every year. So yeah, I can afford to, um, go out and get new stuff when I actually need it. Yeah, definitely. So you, um, gave us a bit of a horror story and I told you mine, but do you have any, uh, memorable experiences that you've had uh whilst you've been out shooting uh i think one really memorable one is probably when uh, i was in new zealand uh it's a sort of a, a well-known spot heading down to um uh mount cook and uh the little the 5k hike into uh hooker lake and the view of mount cook from there Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was one time I stayed there and over the, the weekend, I think I did, um, about, uh, three or four trips in there. Um, and just by myself, um, walking in and out, just hoping for decent conditions. And there was one time where instead of going to just the, the main spot of the lake, uh, ended up heading, um, along the uh, the top of the, um, I think it's a, an offshoot walk that actually goes more towards Mount Cook. Um, and I kind of walked along there a bit and, uh, I just felt like I had the whole place to myself. Um, I don't think there was many people down by the shore either. And I just spent the evening and into the night, um, just shooting, um, uh, the glacier, the mountain, uh, the stars, uh, it ended up getting fairly cold. I probably wasn't dressed for, uh, the night. So I got a bit cold and I think my lens started frosting up as well. Um, and even saw a bit of the Aurora Australis, um, nice. uh, in the other direction. Uh, I didn't get too many photos of it. I wasn't sort of in the best spot to get a, a decent composition for that. Um, uh, but it was just a, a really nice night to myself um in the most amazing scenery ever and it was pitch black when i'm i was trying to walk back and there was enough sort of ambient light um around to uh even turn off the head torch when i got back to the main path and just kind of walk along in um almost complete darkness just sort of seeing the the path 
just ahead of you. So you still know where you're going and just surrounded by mountains and stars. And it's just yeah, a really uh, beautiful moment to um, experience. And it was good to sort of not worry too much about the, the photos I was taking and just enjoy my surroundings and where I was and what I was doing. Um, and it was a, yeah, a good, a good moment to reflect on the choices I've made in my life and what led to that point and that decision to take photography on, um, as a, um, as a life choice. And yeah, it was was a really nice time. Sounds absolutely brilliant. Mm. Um, Yeah. Lots of, lots of memorable moments, um, out there. Um, but that was just, I guess, one that I had to myself. Um, and yeah, really enjoyed it. Have you ever hit a creative wall? And if so, how did you handle that? I tend to hit creative walls all the time. Um, they, if you start pushing yourself and just trying to force something, uh, it tends to just, I guess, get stuck. Um, I, try and just step away from it for a little while. Um, either try again the next day or just give it a week or so. Um, or even just try immersing myself in different types of, um, art or creativity, um, looking around at, um, even, uh, paintings, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be photography or digital art or even, um, uh, movies, TV shows, anything, and just sort of look at it from a creative point of view. Um, look at the decisions people made for compositions or uh, the colors that people chose or the emotion that they're trying to convey with a, uh, a scene or a, a particular piece. And I guess let all that uh, develop in your own mind and um, let your brain kind of work on it in its in its own way. And then um, something just clicks and you just figure out a new path to take and a new way to approach something, uh, that might be completely different to what you're working on at the time, what you're trying to do achieve. Uh, you might find something new and, um, you just, I guess, take it from there, um, and try a different approach. Oh, that's cool. How about yourself? I can't say that I've actually hit a creative wall per se. I've had, a couple of moments where, you know, I've, you know, been challenged with particular images that aren't working. And I, you know, to be honest, what I'll do is I'll put them away and, you know, try them again, maybe in a, a day, maybe in a month, you know, maybe in, maybe in a year or two, you know, in, in some cases, I, I quite recent, quite frequently, sorry, do uh, dives back into the archives to, find things that I might have missed or find things that uh, I I didn't like the way that I processed initially um, and therefore didn't share it with the world. But, uh, yeah, for me, I haven't... I, I can't say that I've hit what I'd call a creative wall where I've actually just sort of stood there and said, well, I don't know what to do next, you know. <laughs> mm. But, um, I mean, you know, the, the, the closest thing I've had to that was really during lockdown where I couldn't move more than five k's away and it was okay well what do I do now um and you know this podcast is really the the um 
the, the thing that sprang from that need to create something. Um, and I thought this was a, a sort of a way of engaging with, uh, with other photographers who may or may not be out there, uh, you know, creating when I can't, you know. So, um, yeah, I haven't really hit a, a wall, as I said, um, you know, that, that, that I would call a real wall. Mm. So what? Yeah, I, sorry, yeah, go on. I, I was just gonna, I guess, say it's it it it's never really a wall for too long. It's not something that's, um, I guess, really um, got me down about my uh, creativity or anything. It's just a part of the process, and um, you can't be on all the time. And just have to accept that. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to come up every now and again. So you just um, don't let it get you down. Because if you focus too much on the fact that you're stuck something, uh, stuck on something, then that's all you're going to focus on. So you kind yeah. of have to put it aside and yeah, work on something else. So it's just part of the the process is to um, hit walls and then don't just stand there staring at it. You kind of work on going around it. Yeah, work, work out how you uh, either dismantle it or uh, or go through it or, um, you know, go, as you say, mm. go around it. Yeah. Are there things, I guess, that you've uh, taught yourself or learned about um, through your photography that you didn't think when you started that you, you would be learning? Um about myself um that's a a deep question um <laughs> i i've always i guess been quite um aware of what goes on in my head and um the the processes that lead from one thing to another uh so photography's been something that's I guess just being a part of that growth, but it there was no no real um, uh, revelation revelations from it. Um, it's definitely changed, I guess, who I who I am as a person and my identity. Uh, but I, it's been something that's been more organic in that um, in that process rather than uh, a yeah, a light bulb kind of moments where I've yeah realized something from photography. Um, mm. It's just been yeah a changing a changing process over time. Yeah. Okay. What I guess is the the, the main project that you see yourself working on now? Uh, I I guess with. Um, uh, nfts um they've uh, really opened up uh, a whole new uh, avenue of um, ways to explore uh, photography creativity um and what is possible and what can be um, done in terms of uh, a, a business direction mm -hmm. um so i've had a few uh, ideas of how i wanted to approach that um, I am kind of working on something at the moment. Uh, I've kind of been going back through a lot of old photos. Uh, it, even before I had a, um, a digital SLR, even going back to ones of just my 
point and shoot mm-hmm. um, camera from uh, lots of travels over the past um, the past decade. So it's I've yeah been through quite a lot of uh, old photos looking for a certain type of uh, image and um, just trying to decide whether or how much I say about it because I'm there's the the whole thing of wanting it to be. Um, I guess a, a bit of a surprise, um, <laughs> but also uh, trying to reveal that um, I have been working on something that is a bit more creative, a bit different to, uh, probably completely different to the style that um, I've been producing. Sure. Um, but it's it's definitely kept me busy and kept me focused on um, on something at the moment. Uh, but it it's has to do with a lot of photos from um, travels and, uh, a bit of creativity with Photoshop as well. Okay. Sounds intriguing. Look forward to, uh, to, to seeing what you come up with. Uh, hopefully it is as intriguing as, um, I want it to be. And, um, I tend to rush things or push things out a bit too quick. So I'm, yeah, trying to hold back and be a lot more patient, uh, with what I'm doing at the moment. And, yeah, yeah. Take my time and really hone it and not be and not um regret putting out anything too soon and just getting it to a point where I'm I'm happy with it and there's nothing else that I'd want to change. And yeah, I'm I'm I think I'm nearly at that point now. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. Fair enough. Fair enough. If you weren't a photographer, what would you be? I would probably still be um doing biomedical science. Um I've always grown up with um, maths and science being a, a big part of my life and I still kind of approach things um, from a very logical and scientific point of view. Uh, so if I wasn't doing photography, I'd still be yeah in that field. And I worked as a, a biomedical scientist for uh, 10 years um, and that was, it's super interesting. Uh, you definitely get a... Um, a sense of uh work satisfaction with what you're doing mm-hmm. uh, so i'd yeah I'd, if i didn't get into photography i would have stayed with what i was doing because that was yeah fairly interesting and a lot of fun yeah yeah no, but i i definitely see that as a, a fascinating career path and you know something you know i i guess would you would you ever fall back to that if uh photography you know um was was no longer an option for some reason uh unfortunately not i don't think i could go back to a a nine to five kind of job Uh, Mm. it wasn't quite nine to five sometimes it was five till two or um (laughs) two till ten kind of thing but i once you start working for yourself and making the own your own decisions as difficult as they are um, for your finances and for your direction in your life. Um, I, yeah, I can't imagine going back to just working a job. Um, it's yeah, not something that I'd do. I'd figure out something. I'd find some other way of, um, uh, making a living. Um, I can't see photography, um, not being a part of my life in the near future. Um, and whether that develops into, I guess, um, I get maybe the the more digital side of things, 
um, that's a possibility, but yeah, if it wasn't doing, um, or being creative and, um, creating art and stuff, then, uh, yeah, I guess it'd be something in science. Fair enough. What, what's the thing you like least about being a photographer or a, a creative person? Uh, hmm, like least about it. Yeah, it's easy uh, to think about what you like about it, but it's harder to talk about what you don't like. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's a lot of fun just making stuff, but making stuff doesn't buy groceries. <laughs> um, so you do have to get other people to believe in it as well. Yeah. And it's hard to find that balance between, um, I guess, staying um, or trying to stay humble or um, trying not to um, sound too much about yourself, um, but still sell yourself and yep. still make people want to buy your work. Um, I've tried to do that by, I guess, just thinking if I just focus on the quality, people will see it and hopefully understand it. Um, I tried, I guess, uh, write um, something to go with it, uh, whether it's just my own attempt at um, some sort of poetry or story or um, some uh, some sort of writing to go with it. Uh, but yeah, that that side of things, uh, the business side of things, focusing on um, pricing, focusing on um, building that yeah, the business side of things. It's that is um it doesn't go well with a a, a creative mindset um yeah unless you can sort of figure out a way to make that um fun and creative in its own way i, um, I, I know exactly what you mean and uh i mean i uh, what what you said before about uh you know um sort of Bra bragging about what you do without sounding like you're bragging. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I find that very difficult. I sort of grew up in an era where talking about yourself was, well, well it wasn't, uh, you know, in, in that sort of way about how good you are about things, that, that sort of thing. It wasn't, um, uh, I, I guess, completely discouraged, but it certainly wasn't uh, something that was encouraged a lot. You know, it was, uh, it was you, you were, you, you were certainly put in your place if you, um, you know, started to espouse how fantastic you were. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, I, you kind of have to sort of say like, ah, I'm an award-winning photographer, and. It's like, why can't you just say you're a photographer? It's like, yeah, you kind of have to say award-winning yeah. if you've won awards just so you stand out or you try and sell yourself a bit more. And, um, yep. yeah, you have to push out those successes that you've had yeah. Um, yeah. without, yeah, just sort of sounding like you're trying to sound better than everyone else. Yep. Um, because I guess we spend a lot of time with our peers um, talking with other photographers and, um, they see what you do and you see what they do. And um, I I don't see myself as um, being better than them. <laughs> so it's hard to yep. um, put myself out there and sound like I'm trying to put myself ahead of them. Um, yeah. Because I know that anyone who wants to buy art is going to, 
uh, I guess they're going to click with your work or they're not. Um, yep. And you just kind of have to get your work out in front of their eyes and they'll like it. And if they've got no reason to not buy it, then they'll buy it. Yeah. Um, I know. Um, yeah. Um, if you're, yeah, it, it's hard because you, for some people you can sound like you're talking about yourself too much. Um, and to other potential buyers, you're not talking about yourself enough. Um, and there's yeah, lots of advice out there on what to do and what not to do. And most of the time it's conflicting. Um, so I guess it just comes back down to, um, separating yourself from your brand and putting the brand out there and selling the brand rather than talking about yourself. Um, but yeah. And I, I, I think there's a cultural balance. Yeah. There's a cultural element to that as well. You know, Australian culture tends to not, you know, it, it, it's don't, don't get above yourself. You know, the, the mm. tall poppy syndrome comes into play a little bit um, that I don't think tends to happen quite as much in the U S in particular, you know, which is, obviously one of the one of the largest marketplaces for art um and so you know you, you do find a lot of americans that are you know they're, they're they're prepped they're ready they can talk about you know they've got their story nailed they got their elevator pitch nailed and everything um a lot of australians i've met just don't have that same sort of uh, approach to doing things um and you know whether or not they miss out and whether or not the quality of their work or whatever shines through because of it um you know but i do think the the, the culture that you've grown up in definitely has a has a part to play in how you how you see yourself how you talk about yourself and as you say you know you you don't necessarily you know think that you're better than anyone else but you know in some circles you've you've got to kind of be out there selling yourself and saying, well, I am better than them because of X, you know, and, you know, that, that can sometimes be a hard thing for, uh, for people to say and do. Mm. Yeah. I guess it's funny that way of saying I'm not better than them, but I've had my own, like I've had my own successes and I've done yeah. really well for myself. Um, I've worked really hard on what I've done. Um, I've had my journey, I've had my experiences and they've led to this moment and, um, a lot of people have really enjoyed my work. Um, they've got their journey. They're doing great and that's fantastic. Um, but this is me. And if you like it, then, um, yeah, considering, uh, investing in my journey. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Are there any particular photographers that, uh, you think I should be talking to on the podcast? Um, uh, I, Probably one that would come to mind would have to be uh, Robert Downey. Uh, yep. of, probably goes more by the name of Intrepid Photos. Mm -hmm. um, I recently uh, had the privilege of um, chatting with him. Uh, he came down to Melbourne and uh, we met up for some some meatballs down in the city and um, I had a good chat with him and his, uh, his story and his life is just phenomenal um uh, it's an amazing photographer taking so many good uh adventure photos and travel photos and yeah just the life that he's lived is amazing to listen to um so i'd yeah definitely recommend um uh robert 
um, or even uh, David Magro as well. Yeah. Um, does some amazing astro work. Uh, he's built up an incredible name for himself. Um, does lots of great um, workshops. Uh, huge um, following on Facebook as well. And a uh, really great guy too. So yeah, I guess there's yeah plenty of great photographers out there, but uh, there's probably a couple that I'd recommend. Yeah, appreciate that. It's I've, I've got a very long list and uh, working my way through it. <laughs> I can so. imagine, yeah. <laughs> but that's 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 the joy of doing this is that there's there's a lot of people out there that I can talk to, and uh, you know some of them agree, some of them uh, don't agree to to um, come on the podcast. Some people don't uh, don't want to talk about their work. Uh, I, I was actually uh, talking to one particular photographer who won a uh, an award recently and he said he was quite a shy and retiring person and didn't really want to do it so you know that, that's fine and i respect that um you know some people don't want to share what you know their story is or you know in some some cases it might be that uh english is their second language so they don't want to uh want to take part but um you know i'm i'm always open to talking to pretty much anyone as you could you, you probably tell <laughs> I'd, I'd probably fall into the the category of um, not wanting to talk about myself as much, but I think um, yeah, the, I when I started my podcast, it was definitely one of the scarier things to do, but it, I pushed myself to um, talk more and be comfortable with talking uh, and being recorded. So mm. I've I've been through all that all those emotions before so coming on and talking on a podcast is um yeah not not too difficult for me now uh but definitely before all that i i may have um declined uh at no, that point just because i yeah wouldn't want to un understand it and under understand that people uh you know might might be shy and retiring but i i don't buy it and it's really just a conversation between me and uh and and the guest you know so it's it's just you and me talking you know nobody, nobody else oh, yeah. will hear it. <laughs> <laughs> no no this is yeah this has been great it's been a great uh conversation and yeah you do really well to uh make your guests feel comfortable and um talk and um expose himself a bit uh so yeah it's uh, been a great experience appreciate it thank you um, and yeah uh, very happy to be on that very happy to be on the podcast um considering you've got such a long list of uh great photographers i know that would be out there and uh would probably be quite happy to be on the podcast so yeah um, yeah looking forward to seeing who's up next i've, I've got one final question for you and it's uh, definitely the most important one do you like pineapple on pizza? I would, if I had the choice between pineapple on a pizza of a, a Hawaiian or a margarita, I'd go with the the pineapple. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a pizza. I'm happy to <laughs> happy to eat pizza, and not the more stuff that's on it, uh, the more stuff that's on there, uh, probably the better. I was talking to uh, Julian Lalo last week. He's a, he's an Italian, so he he was a definite no. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've I've had on the the pizza that's called the Aussie with the egg and bacon on it. Yep. Um, yeah, I I think I've seen on the internet someone put strawberries on a pizza, like a 
a savory pizza. And wow. I think that's where I'd probably draw the line. Yeah. Um, that's, pineapple that's, I can deal with. Pineapple and ham go well together, but um, yeah, probably <laughs> there's some <laughs> things that I wouldn't, but um, yeah, I'm, I've grown up with pineapple on a pizza, so that's fine. It's not my go-to, but I'll eat it if it's the only choice. Well, as I say, it's, it's, it's an important issue that we need to get to the bottom of, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. I think it's um, <laughs> it needs needs discussing more. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to speak with me, Kieran. Uh, I've really enjoyed catching up with you, and it's uh, really interesting to hear about how you uh, have, have sort of dealt with the last few years and what, uh, what you've done where can people find your work uh, so you can find my work at kieranstone.com um, I spend most of my time on Twitter at the moment uh, uh, at kieranstoneau uh, Instagram is I guess more of a portfolio at the moment um, which is also kieranstoneau uh, or if you're on uh, one blockchain um social media, then uh, you can find me on Hive as well, uh, just under Kieran Stone. Um, so yeah, they're probably the, the best places to find me. Excellent. Thanks very much, Matt. Thank you very much, Grant. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm Grant Swinburne, and I hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm -hmm.